We apologise for the poor sound quality in the following recording, which is due to technical problems. We hope that you will nevertheless be able to understand and enjoy the recording. Well, I'd like us to think for a few minutes about some of the aspects of Philemon. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to ask you to vote, not on whether I should be sacked on the basis of the sermon or not, uh, but on the question that I want to raise as part of this sermon, which is this. Did Paul expect Philemon to make Onesimus a free man? That's the question I'm going to put to you, congregation, and I'll be interested to see what you make of it and which way you vote by the end of this evening, because there are a couple of options here. So one of the things we want to conclude with this evening is this question. Did Paul expect Philemon to make Onesimus a free man? Is that part of the subtext of what is being said here? in this letter to Philemon. As we've looked at the letter, it appears that Philemon is the master, though there have been a few interesting variations of that being from a few commentators over the years. And Philemon is connected to the churches in the area of Laodicea, Hierapolis are called the Colossi. That seems to be clear from the kind of links that are made at the end of the uh, letter to Colossians, tied in with this letter to Philemon. And Philemon appears to be a leader in the church, and well known certainly to Paul, Timothy and to those with him in Rome. So um, he's someone who has been intimately involved in the ministry and life and work of the church. Onesimus is either a runaway slave or someone who has been on an errand for his master in his field or deserted at that stage. We don't know the details. But we do know that Onesimus found Paul while he was in Rome and found Paul when he was being held uh, under house arrest. Uh, presumably would have known Paul from his visits to Philemon's house and the implication seems to be that that has happened in the past as Paul anticipates it happening again in the future and it also seems that what has happened is that Onesimus has become a Christian uh, through his encounter with Paul while in Rome a very long way away from home and the language that Paul uses of him particularly in verse 10 of having become his son seems to suggest that this is what has happened at this particular time And the call for Philemon to receive him back as a brother seems a clear uh, indication of what has happened. But before we get to vote on the question, I want to look at two issues this evening. The two issues are the usefulness of Onesimus, or the usefulness of useful, because his name means useful, and then the status of of Onesimus. So first of all, let's look at this theme of the usefulness of Onesimus. Paul says um, in verse... 11 of Philemon formerly he was useless to you but now he has become useful both to you and to me Paul is clearly playing with words here as I've said the name Onesimus essentially means useful profitable and apparently it was a common enough name for servants or slaves in Paul's day it may not actually have been his name may not have been the name that he was born with. It may not even be the name that he had before he found the Apostle Paul. It's a very common practice of giving people names or calling them by names that indicated some change or uh, something about their lives. But whether that's true or not, uh, whether it's a nickname Paul is using for him given the context of what was happening, whether it's a new Christian name following his conversion, we don't actually know. But what we do know is that there were ways in which Onesimus was useful to Paul, which he hasn't spelled out here, but it's probably not hard to imagine the range of possibilities, the practical ways in which he might have been helpful to Paul. 
He may have cooked for him, he may have transcribed letters, he may have run errands, he may have related to officials on Paul's behalf. But certainly there seems to be a very practical as well as a spiritual benefit to Paul in having Onesimus with him. The interesting question is, how might he have become useful to, uh, to Philemon? Formerly he was useless to you, not least because he's a Roman, presumably he should be a Roman. But now he has become useful both to you and to me. Well, in what ways has he become useful to Philemon when he's with Paul in Rome, when he should have been back uh, with his master Philemon? Quite intriguing. It doesn't seem as if Paul was writing a reference for Onesimus. You know, he's not trying to say, you will now find that he will become more useful to you because he's a Christian and he'll make a much better servant. It doesn't seem to be the implication of what Paul is saying here. He seems to be simply saying, actually Philemon, this man has become useful to you. Which begs the question, in what ways might this have happened? I think part of the answer lies in verses 12 and 13, if you look at them there. Because Paul says, um, I would like to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. And Paul seems to be saying that Onesimus has taken Philemon's place in caring for Paul, which seems to suggest that the relationship between the two men, between Paul and Philemon, seems to have been quite close and very practical. Paul assumes that Philemon would have wanted to help him in his predicament. And is saying to Philemon, believe it or not, you have been helping me without being aware of it, for your servant Onesimus has been taking care of me. So I think part of the answer of the way in which Onesimus' slave has been useful to Philemon is quite simply quite practical. He's become useful to you, Philemon, because he has been able to do what you would have wanted to do but didn't have the opportunity or the means. I think the second part of the answer may lie in the verses that follow and in a spiritual challenge to Philemon, who is about to learn through Onesimus, more of the implications of his faith in Jesus Christ. Look, for example, at verse 15. Uh, Paul's, perhaps, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good no longer as a slave, but better than as a slave, as a dear brother. Onesimus's situation is maybe a bit like the Old Testament situation of Joseph. Maybe that's what Paul's thinking about here. You know the story of Joseph, how his brothers despised him and disposed of him. Um, they sold him off as a slave. He becomes a slave in Egypt. But eventually, through a series of events, rises to become their saviour in times of real difficulty, times of famine and necessity. And a bad situation becomes a good situation in the providence of God. Onesimus has hurt has failed, he has wronged Philemon, it would appear. But by the grace of God, what we now have is a good situation. And Philemon is going to have to reflect on that and absorb the implications of that and respond to Onesimus' return accordingly. In other words, it would seem as if Paul means that Onesimus has become useful to Philemon as a means of growing as a Christian. Philemon will grow as a Christian as he understands more of God's ways and God's providence in the events of life. And Philemon will grow as he is forced to reevaluate the nature of his relationship with Onesimus and what it means to be a brother in Christ to someone. I think it's, it's true that most of us struggle to make sense of bad situations. 
I think that's entirely understandable. The truth is that we rarely make any sense of bad situations when we're in the middle of them. There are exceptions. I caught a snippet of Joni Erickson, who was on BBC this evening, speaking of her accident and life confined to a wheelchair as a terrible mercy. Someone who sees very clearly the hand of God in her life and in what is a terrible set of circumstances. But it's often only with hindsight, only with some form of resolution, that we ever have the hope of making sense of things. It was true for Philemon, and it's true for us. But I think one of the lessons that we can learn as we observe and listen in to what Paul is saying to Philemon here, is to keep our minds open to difficult things making sense in the long term without trying to force meaning or explanation in the short term. You see, I'm sure that for Philemon, it had been a time of double bad news. Paul was in prison, and he was back uh, home in Colossae or wherever he was around there. And Paul's future was uncertain, and there was very little that Philemon could do about it. And to make matters worse, he had the problem that Onesimus was not at home when he should have been. He had run away or failed to return or whatever it was, which would have clearly been an additional burden on Philemon's mind. He could never have known that both concerns were many hundreds of miles away, being beautifully resolved in the providence of God. He could never have known that. He could never have worked that out or found that comfort in the middle distress in these situations. But yet in the problems of God, that's what was happening. I think this will be an important lesson for Philemon about trusting God in future situations. This is something he's going to chew on, something he's going to reflect on. Amazing that this should turn out and work out this way. Well, as we read Philemon's story, let it also be a lesson for us. We may not be able to resolve difficulties or make sense of them. We may not be free of the pressure and pain of present difficulties. But there is probably more in the goodness of God going on around us than we can possibly ever know. If this is your situation, take heart and learn from Philemon. At the same time, I think for all of us, being forced to deal with unexpected outcomes, as was going to be the case for Philemon, stretches us in the choices we have to make and the responses we make in life. We're often forced to accept outcomes and make decisions we never would have made if it weren't for difficulties that arise the way they're resolved. It's true for Philemon. He's going to have to make serious choices about how he relates to Onesimus that he probably would never have had to make if he, Philemon, wasn't a Christian and if Onesimus hadn't found Paul and become a Christian. But we find this in life, don't we? Relationships, events, happenings, they throw up choices that we never would have expected. Such situations stretch our understanding of the grace of God and provide us with fresh challenges, but they're challenges that can help us grow as Christians. As Paul, I believe, anticipated, it would help Philemon. So let's not be afraid of that. These things may well be part of our growth as Christians. 
Onesimus has clearly been useful to Paul in some very practical ways and in fellowship. But he has also been useful to Philemon even before he gets back, despite the circumstances, by caring for Paul in a way that Philemon couldn't, and by being the means of Philemon's growth as a Christian in his understanding of God's providence and having to make choices that will reflect and deepen his understanding of the grace of God. Onesimus has become very useful both to Paul and to his master. But then there's also the question of the status of Onesimus. One of the comments that caught my attention early on in thinking about Philemon was the comment in verse 16, where Paul is saying, you'll receive him back no longer as a slave, but better than as a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. That little phrase, as a man and a brother, caught my attention. And clearly, Onesimus was a man. There was nothing that had changed about that set of circumstances in terms of what had happened over the recent months or years or whatever it was in terms of this encounter with the Apostle Paul. Oh, why does Paul use this phrase? The brother bit I can understand and he has repeated that a number of times. And the challenge is obvious. Receive him back as a brother and not as a slave. But why does he add in that bit as a man and a brother? I suspect that there is a huge challenge, if not personally for Philemon, certainly for many people around him in this particular situation. Perhaps Paul's implication here in using this phrase, as a man, is forcing a whole new way of thinking about Onesimus, his slave. Thinking about his dignity and worth as a human being. I'm quite sure that Philemon didn't treat him as an animal. I know the rules of the day were that basically the slave was under the ownership of his master. There's no particular bill of rights for slaves, and things varied from situation to situation. I'm sure Philemon must have treated him Quite well, because I'm sure Paul would not have been staying in Philemon's house and have tolerated abusive people in the first place. But Philemon seems to be being forced by Paul to see him as of equal standing, just as a man like himself, as well as a brother in Christ. I discovered some interesting things about this phrase, uh, because it got me thinking about William Wilberforce about whom we're going to hear a lot, I think, in the coming months. 25th of March, 2007, will be the 200th anniversary of the Act of Parliament brought by William Wilberforce that abolished the slave trade across the British Empire. Apparently there is a plaque at the birthplace of William Wilberforce, who came from Hull, which says, No Englishman has ever done more to evoke the conscience of the British people and to elevate and ennoble British life. There's a whole range of material on uh, William Wilberforce on the internet and in books and uh, things that are written about him. The man came from um, a fairly well-to-do merchant family. Um, he went into Parliament. He was, when he was at university, while a bit appalled at some of the behaviour of those around him, he went to Cambridge. Um, he was nevertheless, uh, in his own early years, um, very decadent in his own lifestyle and then he became a Christian, became an evangelical which in the context of the 18th century was no simple thing 
we've talked about somebody becoming an evangelical today, and well, as far as most people are concerned, well, if that's what your vote, that's okay, it doesn't matter, and nobody bothers. But in those days, that was to be seen to be very much on the radical wing of Christianity, on the, the doubtful edge of Christianity, and it set him immediately um, on the edge of acceptability. Nevertheless, he became a member of parliament and became a force uh, for good on many, many important issues. Um, but not least on the whole issue of the abolition of the slave trade. The whole story of how it happened is fascinating. There was attempt after attempt in the House of Commons to bring a bill to abolish uh, slave trading. Um, it was defeated on a number of occasions, not least because some of the opposition offered apparently very good opera tickets to members of the House of Commons and when they came to the vote they weren't there. I wonder if such things still happen these days. I'm sure they could possibly. But eventually um, it was to come to the place that in 1807 um, his bill on the abolition of slave trading passed into law and when it did, it did so with a resounding majority. And apparently the final winding up speech in the debate that was made uh, which praised William Wilberforce, uh, left him, I gather, in tears as he sat in the House of Commons and caused the uh, House to rise to its feet and in uncharacteristic behaviour in the House of Commons to cheer and applaud the man as the bill was passed. Such was his dogged determination on this issue in which he managed to change the conscience of a nation and the whole set of behaviour in this regard. But Wilberforce wasn't content to leave it there. Wilberforce then began to work for the emancipation of slaves. To stop the trading was one thing. To abolish the very nature of slavery and the ownership of people was his greatest achievement, was his greatest goal. And interestingly, a man called Wedgwood, who was a very good friend of his, joined him in this. You will have heard of Wedgwood. I'm sure you maybe even have some Wedgwood pottery in your house. And this picture that you see on the screen uh, of this little brooch uh, was a medallion that Wedgwood produced to raise money for the abolitionists' cause. Um, this picture I got from an American website uh, to do with Benjamin Franklin, uh, one of the, the previous presidents of the United States. And in 1788, some of the medallions were sent to Franklin in Philadelphia. And he thought that they could be as effective as pamphlets in drawing attention to the issue of slavery. And this image became so popular that it was replicated in many formats, including buttons, sashes, decorations, and cups and pictures. I'm sure they won't mind me saying it, but the American spirit for entrepreneurship showed, obviously, and took Wedgwood's idea to a real new level. But even people like Wedgwood became involved in this process of trying to change the mentality of a nation and, and, and created this little brooch which they sold many many copies of the money being used to fight uh, in the House of Commons the abolition of the slave trade and I don't know whether you can read it from where you are sitting or not but what is very interesting is the phrase that is used on the brooch am I not a man and a brother I leave in 16 receive him back as a man as a brother. Wilberforce has a number of books, not much of his speeches are, are, are preserved, and it's quite clear that as an evangelical he was uh, deeply moved and shaped by the teaching of Scripture. 
And it's very interesting that this little phrase appears again in this context, in this very important point in the history of Western civilization. The 26th of July, 1833, the Emancipation Bill received in Second Reading of House of Commons and was accepted and three days later on the 29th of July, 1833. That's nearly 30 years after the abolition of trading in slavery. Uh, Wilberforce died three days after the Emancipation Bill was passed in Parliament. All of this is something that we will think about and hear more of in the months ahead, not least the whole business of what slavery is today, because if you think that the 1807 Bill got rid of slave trading, slave trading you would be very badly mistaken. It's very much an issue that still exists today. So Wilberforce was clear in what he wanted to achieve. He wanted to achieve not just the abolition of trading in people, the slaves, but the emancipation of slaves, removal of the status of slavery. What was it that Paul was working for in Philemon? Let me give you briefly two comments that come from different evangelical um, commentators on this issue. One comes from a man called Mutter, who puts a comment this way. A new relation between master and slave comes into existence in verse 16 of Philemon. Henceforth Philemon will own Onesimus, no longer as a servant, but more than a servant, a brother beloved in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul does not declare the slave emancipated and free now. The former social relation of master towards slave is maintained, but a new spirit and disposition will henceforth govern that relation. Onesimus is still a slave, but will no longer be regarded and treated as a slave in the sense of a thing, merely a possession, instrument or tool, as slaves were regarded in the pagan world of those days. But he would now also be regarded and treated as a beloved brother. A new relation of brotherhood in the Lord between master and slave has been added since the conversion of Onesimus. He is now more than a slave. Without ceasing to be a slave, he now stands in another and higher relation to his master. Another commentator takes a very different view. And he says the fundamental shift of Onesimus' social status from slave to dear brother is repeated in the phrase, both as a man or in the flesh, and as a brother in the Lord. Paul does not suppose that the social and the spiritual can be kept separate as spheres of human existence. While God's creation includes both the visible and the invisible, they are integrated and held together by the one Lord. Thus, the spiritual well-being of the congregation will always be demonstrated publicly by the well-being of its social relationships. Harris's interpretation is so common among evangelicals that Paul is speaking of a change of attitude rather than a change of social relationship, so that Onesimus will resume his position as a household slave, as before his conversion, fails to observe calculus of Paul's gospel. In fact, Paul's letter to Philemon clarifies and extends the ethical implications of the gospel in his letter to the Colossians. The book of Philemon's moral vision is that social hierarchies, such as the one between a powerful owner and his partisan slave, are dismantled in Christ. So how far was Paul pushing Philemon as a man and a brother? Does it mean as a Christian and a good man who will work well for you, Philemon? Does it mean, as a Christian, and someone like yourself, no slave, no bit of property that you can own? 
Slavery today is a massive problem. The trafficking of women and young girls from Eastern Europe, Nepal and other countries into the sex industry is on a scale beyond our imagination. Economic migrants held in the clutches of traffickers are really nothing more than slaves and they exist here in the UK just like everywhere else. There's lots of information you can find on this. But what was Paul pushing Philemon on here? Take him back. That's if you treat him as a brother. Take him back. Set him free. Well, like in the best of these sort of TV programs, it's your opportunity to vote. There are different opinions on this. So if you think that Paul is pushing him to release Onesimus, Onesimus, Slavery and set him free. Raise your hand. Don't be shy. And if you think the status quo is to be maintained but the attitude is to be changed, raise your hand. Well, we're maintaining the status quo. Interesting. I could. What we're going to do now is to meet around the Lord's table and uh, spend some time reflecting on what God did to set us free. We're going to begin by singing the words of this song, Jesus is King and I will extol him, give him the glory and honour his name. Let's stand as we sing this together.